theater and performance and arts often, in fact, perhaps most frequently uphold existing regimes because that's where the money is. That's where the power is. It, 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 it takes a lot to create art. And so when we look at the most prominent forms of theater practice, they're so often the ones that are upholding status quo. This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Anne Bryce. Today, we hear from Tamia Hearn DeRoy. She is a new assistant professor of social justice theater and directing in UC Berkeley's Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies. She's the first faculty member at Berkeley hired specifically as a social justice theater practitioner and joins several professors in the department who incorporate social justice methodologies into their teaching. And she's one of 10 recently hired professors in the Division of Arts and Humanities. DeRoy's research explores what goes into creating social justice theater, or what she calls narrative justice playmaking, and how it's different from other forms of theater. So a lot of times we hear narratives around, oh, this piece of work is telling untold stories. First of all, the story wasn't untold. The story was just untold to some people. Now, generally what that means is this story has not been widely spread among the those who are in power. And that by telling these untold quote unquote stories to those in power, we will change the minds of those in power to give those who have been silenced more voice, more rights, etc. This is advocacy, she says. It's an appeal for justice, which is important and needs to keep happening. But it's not social justice theater because it keeps the power in the hands of the powerful. Instead, she says, Social justice theater actually aims to contribute in real time to social transformation. Sometimes that looks like disrupting. Sometimes that looks like protest. But often that also looks like people from a specific community that have been marginalized developing their own performance techniques to tell their own stories for themselves in their own ways in manners that help them understand their realities better in ways that are self-affirming. My, my work is a lot about how do we position ourselves? How do we be really honest about our identities? And how do we research ourselves and use our understanding of ourselves to make the world a more just place, as opposed to perhaps going around and researching other people? I'm a big advocate of the self, self-research, um, autoethnography, of looking at the ways in which our stories influence other people's realities but always starting from where we are. DeRoy has many communities and cultures that make up her identity, all of which inform how she moves through the world and the type of work that she does. Her dad is Jewish from Israel. Her mom is multiracial from Trinidad and Tobago, an island country in the Caribbean. And DeRoy, who is queer and light-skinned, grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. I am what you can consider a person who passes for white. And that's a huge part of how I am viewed in the world, how I'm seen in the world, the opportunities that I'm given in the world. She says that being both part of the power structure and a member of marginalized groups has allowed her to write and direct performances in a nuanced way, always holding many different perspectives in the process. 
In 2022, as a graduate student at the University of Kansas, she directed Everybody, a 2017 play by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins about the unexpected nature of death. It's a modern adaptation of the 15th century morality play called Everyman. The student actors performed Everybody during the COVID-19 pandemic. So in a global pandemic where every single one of us have been deeply and intimately affected by the effects of COVID, we are all recipients of this trauma, of this social problem, this violence. And so, of course, some communities have been more effective and affected and some individuals had been more affected. But the whole production was designed around how can we generate collective healing around the collective loss that we've experienced? Um, and also, how can we train our students, because it was a th- university production, to share power? Because we've seen how not sharing power when it comes to trying to solve social issues over and over again continues to marginalize those who are not in power. So power sharing is very important. The script for everybody is designed as a lottery. Five actors learn all of the parts, and then each night they draw at random the characters they're going to play. One person gets the lead role, who also is the one who dies in the play. In DeRoy's version, they instead asked audience members to vote using a QR code for which actors would play each role that night. So they would get a live text on stage and then they would go to their places and play it. But what the conceit behind that was not just the fun of getting to vote on your peers, but that it gave it reminded all of us that we are collectively responsible for each other's lives because you're literally voting on the person who's going to die in the play. The main character, though, is also a coveted role, and the actors would advocate to the audience for one another to get a chance to play it. And the reason that I that I bring this up as a ex- great example of actual grounded theater that makes a change is because all of the students who participated in this project left this project understanding what power sharing means, having participated and made their own decisions to share power and to advocate for others to share power. So it wasn't just a play. It was also a training, an allyship training, a power sharing training. And because everybody felt so invested in the collective of this production, there was this sense of unity. There was this sense of love. There was this sense of of standing up for each other. This type of performance isn't how most theater has traditionally been designed, she says, where everyone has a role in the cast and each role fits into a hierarchy. Throughout her training, DeRoy, who first got into community theater in Kansas at age nine, saw these power structures at play. And it was in Trinidad, where her mom grew up, that DeRoy developed her own social justice theater research and practice. After DeRoy graduated in 2012 with a bachelor's degree in theater studies from Yale University, she moved to Trinidad to connect with her family's roots. There, she worked at the Trinidad Theater Workshop, where she was the director of the School for the Arts and director-in-residence. She directed several productions, including An Echo in the Bone by Dennis Scott and A Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare, and she developed six new plays. While she was there, she also learned more deeply about Trinidad and Tobago's Carnival, an annual festival started in the late 18th century by the island's enslaved population as a way to disrupt political realities. 
carnival is a is a massive party that has a huge socio-political root and is all about emancipation and reparation. To understand what it means to the culture, she says, it's important to know the country's complex colonial history. Here is a very brief summary. Trinidad and Tobago, a dual island Caribbean nation, was inhabited by indigenous tribes for thousands of years, and then claimed by Columbus in the name of Spain in the late 15th century. Most of the indigenous population was attacked and seized for slave labor on other Caribbean islands, which were also colonized by Europeans. In the 17th century, the French settled in Trinidad and Tobago. They brought with them enslaved Creole or Caribbean-born people and set up a plantation society. Then the British took ownership from Spain in the late 18th century. As demand for sugar spiked across the world, enslaved people, mostly from West Africa, were brought into the country to work on the plantations. For entertainment, both French and freed people of color held masquerade balls. And enslaved Africans, who brought with them their own mask traditions, were excluded from the masquerades. So they decided to enact their own carnival as a form of retaliation and resistance. During the festivities, they mocked their oppressors, impersonating them in exaggerated ways. Over time, carnival became a unique way for them to express their identity. And then when enslavement ended in the 1830s, they brought in a lot of indentured laborers, mostly from India, but some from China. Um, And then, so then the society, it's now West African, it's part East African. There's still a significant indigenous population in Trinidad and Tobago. We've got various European influences, and now we've got large Indian and a smaller Chinese population. They're all bringing together their culture and their food and their performance practices to form what is the the Creole Carnival of today. Carnival is a two-day street festival with deep spiritual ties where people promenade down the street playing music, dancing, and wearing costumes. There's a stylized form of performance called Olmas, derived from the West African mask traditions, rhythms, and dances of the original carnival, where people wear elaborate costumes and perform practiced walks and dances. They participate in competitions, they give speeches, and dress like characters, often as a political response to injustices happening in the world. And Trinidadian carnival is, you know, it's social justice theater in practice every moment. It's all about self, the, the emancipation, the subverting of the tr- of the powerful narrative through um, humor, through performance, through doublespeak. Um, and it, I t- it just taught me so much about the possibilities of the art form. It starts with a celebration called Jouvet, which is a creolization of the term jour ouvert, French for day opens. Revelers cover themselves in traditionally mud and paint and oil, but increasingly these days, other kinds of substances too, like chocolate, um, and dance to the beat of the steel drum as and um, and tambu bamboo, which is beating bamboo on the ground um, to make rhythms. 
this is all comes from the history where African drums were banned. And so people of African descent had to find different ways to express their music. Um, so they started beating on pans. They started beating on the ground. There were lots of music, only musical instrument created in the 21st century is the steel pan, which came out of this need for people of African descent in Trinidad to have drum, to drum as part of their um, celebration ceremony, um, spiritual practices. So, Carnival is, starts with this greeting of the day. People dance. Now it starts at about 3 a.m. It used to start at about midnight. Dance to the sun, as the sun raises. And it's a, very, it's a very spiritual experience. It's a very emotional experience. These rituals, these celebrations that I'm talking about that are part of Carnival are literally healing rituals. They're literally practices of releasing trauma and stress and pain. And they do leave you feeling renewed and revived and reborn. Um, so that's what carnival it's a rebirth it's a renewal it's a ritual ceremony it's a performance it's an outcry against injustice at the trinidad theater workshop the longest running theater in the caribbean deroy met one of her great mentors Tony Hall, whose theatrical practice developed from growing up playing carnival and from studying theater in Canada and England. And he created, well, he doesn't like to say he created, he observed a process that he called Juve Popular Theater Process, off of which my narrative justice playmaking is largely built. And it's about playmaking, how to make plays in this very sort of inside-out manner, this iterative manner of creating these plays that really interact with the social environment and are able to create social change. And so Tony kind of revolutionized the way I looked at the world, um, and everything I do is built on his practice. DeRoy's narrative justice playmaking framework, an observation of centuries-old practices from all around the world, breaks down the steps of social justice theater into four stages. The first thing that performance allows us to do, she says, is survive. In, in the most difficult circumstances, it's often the stories and the hope that we tell each other about ourselves that allow us to keep not just living, but wanting to live. And that's a really big difference in within oppressed societies. Do you Are you living just because you keep living and you're trying to survive? Or are you living because you want to passionately to be alive? And that's kind of what makes our lives worthy. After survival comes emancipation. So how does our theater and our performance actually break our um, sometimes literal enslavement. For example, um, you know, the rituals and the performances that helped people gain independent um, gain freedom and helped colonies gain independence. Those are very literal emancipation performances, but they're also all the performances and the practices and the storytelling that led to the emancipation. Um, and then there's the continuing um, emancipation of the mind, emancipation of the self from the structures such as, you know, colonialism, white supremacy, um, heteropatriarchy, these performances allow us to free our minds from this mental enslavement, so to speak. The next stage is reparation. Um, so, of course, we're in a conversation internationally about actual reparations for the transatlantic slave trade and for all of the labor that was stolen from so many of our ancestors. And so there are ceremonies and rituals of actual reparation, but also beyond that, reparation is a reparative. It's about repairing the harm that was done. So this is where we move from 
just telling the stories to actually being able to repair the harm done. And so much of the repairing of the harm is the next step after the emancipation. It's okay, so I now know that I deserve this life, but what does learning and living this life mean? How can I heal? It's healing. It's collective healing and the ways in which so many of our storytelling practices permit us collective healing. And the final stage of social justice theater performance is self-actualization. And I talked a lot about that earlier. How do we as people, as marginalized peoples, how do marginalized communities find ways not just to live not just to survive, not just to free themselves from the bonds and heal from the harm, but then live full, beautiful, self-actualized lives. And theater and performance helps us do all four of those things. And there, it's not a linear path. It doesn't go one after each other. I just broke it down for ease of understanding. After four years, DeRoy left Trinidad and Tobago and moved to Toronto, Canada, to work for the Caribbean Tales International Film Festival. After a year, she returned to Kansas, where she worked in a community-based program in a public elementary school. Then she decided to go to graduate school at the University of Kansas. There she directed several productions, including In the Blood, by Susan Laurie Parks, about a Black woman who is homeless, trying to raise five children on her own. This production also deals with sexual violence. This production also deals with um, misogynoir, which is um, misogyny specifically directed at Black women. Um, it deals with, with, with um, death and violence against young Black men. It's a very difficult, violent subject. And so I didn't want to create a production that excluded the very people who the play talks about. I wanted to take a pro- create a production that would not just include but center the perspectives of the people who are most affected by the content of the play. And so I moved even deeper into the disability justice conversation. And then I started pairing that with trauma-informed best practices from trauma studies. Um, and I started looking at how we can also provide not just accessibility for physical disablement, but accessibility for mental and emotional disablement in the forms of trauma, PTSD, as well as the whole spectrum of mental mental disability from autism and on everywhere. Um, and so I talked. I learned a lot about relaxed performances, how to make performances sensor not sensorily overwhelming for people with sensory sensitivities, how to make sure that people, and you know, the, the, I strongly recommend that anybody read the disability justice primer, skin, tooth and bone as created by sins invalid, because that's where I learned so much about how to actually create sensory sensitivity, sensitive productions, um, not overwhelming productions, um, and also just accessible in so many ways. And then combining that with the work, my work on trauma-informed practices, I think we managed, I wrote my master's thesis about this. We managed to create a play that was far more inclusive than it could have been, though I'm sure that we, I mean, I know that there were many ways that we could have continued to be better. Um, to enact disability justice, you always have to be thinking about everybody with every different ability um, and and being open to learning where you fail short because you'll always fall short because there are always people you didn't know about. Right now, DeRoy is working on a very personal play about a queer couple's reproductive journey, inspired by her own experiences. 
And what it is designed to do is to raise awareness about all the social inequities and difficulties that were faced by myself and my partner and others who have similar positionalities to us during this during pregnancy journeys and the ways in which our parenthood and our abilities to become parents and our abilities to parent in a safe and healthy way. I'm using a reproductive justice framework. So again, justice here um, are disrupted by the medical institutions, by the policies that are surrounding us and by the ways in which queer and racialized people trying to parent get a certain kind of scrutiny um, and a certain kind of uh, violence that other people don't have. So that's me return. That's me as an artist working within my own community, not just to raise awareness to those who are in power, but also to empower people like myself to s- know how to self advocate, to know what it actually means, to know what these processes are. Social justice theater, she says, is a vital tool in creating more just societies one that promotes shared power and self-empowerment and helps break down the structures of domination and oppression that colonialism has built into so many societies across the world. This fall, DeRoy is on a research semester, and in the spring, she'll teach her first classes at Berkeley, an advanced stage directing course and a course on post-D and anti-colonial performance literature. I'm Ann Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley news podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs at UC Berkeley. In the next episode, we'll continue where we left off, this time with Angela Marino, an associate professor in theater, dance, and performance studies, who will discuss the ways that social justice theater methodologies have the ability to transform our campus and help create a more genuine democracy. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.